Jawbreaker. And you're listening to CITR FM 102, Cable 102, Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada. And it's time right now for the Nardwar, the Human Serviette Radio Show. And we have a guest in the studio right now. Hello, 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 hello. Thank you for the invite, Nardwar. Who, Privilege. Who are you? My name is Jim Parrott, and I edited a fanzine in the 70s, the early 70s, that has now become a book. Denim Delinquent. That's it. On Hozak Records. And books. Denim Delinquent, 1971 to 1976. Proto-punk. Yeah, pre-punk, proto-punk, whatever you want to call it. And that's what we are playing today on the Nardwar, the Human Serviette radio show. You have brought in. You have ridden a bus. My own 
collection your own collection now we began with i think uh, what did we begin with we met with a guy named Michelle Peglero, I believe. Exactly. Um, and we are going to go to a guy called... Michelle Pagliaro. We Surprise. began with his band from 1966, Late Chancellors. And that is how I like to remember him. Who is him? And what are we going to be hearing coming up? We're going to be hearing a live album he did in 1972, a double album. And he plays a lot of his earlier poppy stuff in a more rock oriented way. What exactly is Pagliaro? I like calling him Pagliaro. Pagliaro, Michelle Pagliaro. That's his name. But what exactly is he? Like that particular track was Lee Chancellor. That was his earlier career. That's how I like to remember him. Although I did notice on YouTube, he did revisit that tune very recently. I didn't know that. Yes, yeah, so you can check that out. Within the last two years, he revisited it. Like what made him special and what made Denim Delinquent special? Well, I have a little bit of a personal relationship with him. He, His bodyguard and... Uh, best friend and artist and all this stuff was a guy named Jim Lagios and he was my sister's boyfriend and he uh, would bring me albums and tell me stories about Pagliaro and then I got to hear him and I thought oh he's doing all this pop stuff that's not for me but then in the 70s he's decided to go rock and roll and then delinquent was from the 70s of Ottawa what can you say about the 70s in Ottawa the less better <laughs> the less, <laughs> yeah. but for instance Graydon Carter Great. How did you find that out? Yes, I did an embarrassing thing on a blog I had a few years ago, and uh, I drunkenly told the story of all the things that uh, Graydon and I did when we were 9 or 10 years old, and uh, Gawker picked it up and made it into a big story. The editor of Vanity Fair, Graydon Carter, what do you remember about him? Like, for instance, Ottawa. Come on, Ottawa, the early 70s, the late 60s. Uh, it was cold. Uh, but, I, you know, not a lot was happening. You know, uh, AM radio was going away, and FM had come in, and the tunes were getting a little more, uh, I don't know, mellow on FM. For, I don't know why that happened, and the tunes get a little longer. So the rock and roll started getting in the back, back end, and we couldn't find any, my friend and I, uh, one, namely, namely a guy named Mark Jones, who co-founded, named, and actually started Denim Delinquent. As put out by Hosack Books. Hosack Books. Which has reissued it. That's why I keep saying Hosack, right? Mm -hmm. Which people can get, Denim Delinquent, uh, exact repro of your zine. Is it an exact repro? And did your zine have no ads? It had ads in the first two when we were deciding what to do. And then we decided, that's it. No, we're not going to do that anymore. We're going to be amateur all the way. This is just going to be us doing this with no influence from anyone. So this was Ottawa, the early 70s, and we're speaking here to Jim Parrott, right? Parrot like the bird. Jim Parrott from Ottawa, Ontario, but you also grew up with Sign Hoffos. Signia Hoffos. Yeah. What was his connection? She. She was a uh, friend Quite of... Quite a name. That's, she was from a uh, Norwegian country, I believe, or something. I don't know. And uh, she was a friend of uh, Mark and... Mark's brother, Evan, and she went to visit uh, uh, the Vanity Fair editor before he's a Vanity Fair editor, and he showed her, she showed him a denim delinquent, and he looked at it and he said, is this all this is about Iggy Pop? <laughs> and I don't know if she got the job or not. 
Rich Little. He was also from Ottawa, right? Rich Little. Yeah. I just thought I would throw Paul that Anka. out. Like from that era, like growing up in the, the late 60s, early 70s, who was from Ottawa? Like Rich Little was from Ottawa. Rich Little was the big name, right? Paul Anka. Paul yeah. Anka. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah those I two. want to avoid him. To, but yes. <laughs> okay. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I get that. But he, uh, Anka and Little, exactly. It Was that it, period? Yeah. And then how about denim delinquent? How entrenched were you? Like, was it Anka? And was it Little and then Denim Delinquent? Well, no, no. I started with um, more of a pop thing. Gene Pitney, kind of. I really liked him. And uh, then the Beatles came along. No, I was saying, like, from Ottawa. There was number one, Paul Anka. Number two, Rich Little. Number three. End of story. (laughs) Denim Delinquent. Oh, right. Exactly. And that's inspired you to start the zine, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Paul Anka and Paul Rich Anka Little. Paul Anka and Rich Little. Yeah, they were on my mind, you know, a lot. Uh, what exactly was your relationship with the mailman? What was your relationship with the mailman? Like you were doing a fanzine in the early 70s. Oh, the yeah. mailman, you must know the mailman. I certainly did. Well, I know the, the postal clerk for sure because they used to have a thing called printed matter, and that's how we send it out because it's cheaper to do it that way. And uh, so I got to, they got to know me pretty good. But how about coming in for you? Because you only did about eight issues of right. Denim Delinquent. Like now, if you went back to the address printed in the exact location of which we will rename, rename, uh, rename uh, remain anonymous, um, what would, how long did you keep getting LPs at that address for? A long time, yeah. And uh, after I left, when I came back to visit one time, um, uh, my mom's new uh, husband, he says, what are all these things in the mail for? What are all these cards and all these calls? You know, well, you know, they just just kept coming, yeah. When did you first hear Hozak? Hozak was um, probably a year or so ago when a a fellow named Jeremy Cargill, who's uh, with Got Got, Kind of Lost Records, and... uh, we were trading fanzines, and uh, he works for uh, Ugly Things and his own record company now. And he talked to a guy named Todd Novak at Hozak, and Todd says he's interested, and from then on, took off. Denim delinquent. Had you approached anybody else? Like, had you thought about doing a book? Had there been demand for a book? Well, I'll tell you something. About two and a half years ago, three years ago, uh, I saw on eBay that uh, there were uh, Denim Delink was going for way more than I ever thought they would go for. So I said, something's going on here. So what I did was I started a uh, Facebook page for Denim Delinquent and started uh, sending out T-shirts, Denim Delinquent T-shirts, to anybody who wanted them uh, just to get you know the word out there. And I went to all these self-publishing shop, slop, sh- yeah, shops, and uh, it just didn't, was, wasn't working out. So Jeremy Cargill came to the rescue. And you had written for ugly things in past. Like how did yeah, you meet he did him? that? Uh, Jeremy got that gig for me too. That was a thrill. When did you first meet him? You know, probably about a year or so ago. You know, t- maybe two years ago. Yeah, two years ago. And we were exchanging fanzines. And I found a 2009 review of Denim Delinquent online that he had written. And that's how we started to get to know each other. 
And next thing you know, it's Hozak Books. I know. Yeah. Denim Delinquent. So right now, we are going to play Pagliaro, the French version, the version that people know. Like, late chancellors, not everybody knows from 1966. I love it. But this is the true, what people know from Pagliaro. And he was featured in your zine because... He was the girlfriend of. Well, he was a boyfriend of. He was your yeah. sister's he was friend of my sister's boyfriend. Okay. And uh, but uh, it was, wasn't just that. Uh, I think uh, Mark and I we started listening to that live album. We said, "Wow, everybody knows Pagliaro, especially in the United States for his pop stuff." And uh, what he did on this live album is take some of those pop songs and rock them up a little, which I really loved a lot. So here we have. Pagliaro, with what particular track are we going to hear right now? We are going to hear, and this is, again, all Jim selections from Tawasa, British Columbia, Canada. This is a melody melody of Pertois, Pertois, and what was the second one? I can't remember now. Oh, Atemé, and which is a really nice orchestra <laughs> pop hit in his early days. And we hear it just a little bit different in this. As chosen by Denim? Linquent.
is classic like for instance we are playing i was skipping back and forth there jim for the different blue oyster cult tracks right yes because my hesitancy to play blue oyster cult on the nardwar the human serviette show why are we playing this exactly well i wanted to play one track because it's oh it's called stairway to the stars because it's always been a favorite of mine, and it has a line in there, which I thought is so cool, which is, uh, I think I'll sign it. Good health to you. So that's the way I decided I'm going to sign the Denim Delinquent books. Uh, what exactly track is it? Do we just go you through? You know what? I don't have the track list with so me. So we just are just the... going through it. So it's not six, uh, about seven. No, I think it's no four. And we are again are going through the tracks here with Dan and the Liquids. Number four. Here you go.
How do you reckon it red, red and blue and green? Woo! All through my head. Licked a stamp, saw move, it dropped a stamp. Woo! Mm, I ain't got no blues no more, I said. I put me up thinking, ah, postman's groovy. I ain't, woo, I ain't got the blues no more, I said. Life's like that, isn't it? Only the other day I was walking in the West End and suddenly I was sat upon by hordes of fans and admirers who wanted to touch my clothes. So I took sanctuary in a nearby cinema. Normally, of course, I don't go in, but that day I saw something that really moved me. I'd like to share this wonderful experience with you. It was The Sound of Music. You are still listening to CITR, the Nardwar, the human serviette radio show with special guest DJ. Denim Delinquent. Denim Delinquent. And what did we just hear, Jim, from Dem- Denim Delinquent Zine? Well, the first one was a Pagliaro song that we talked about earlier, followed by the Denim Delinquent theme song. Nobody Spoil My Fun by the band of all time, The Seeds. And after that, we played Stairway to the Stars, which has a, uh, a little bit of a denim delinquent reference, since that fact we used it to, to sign autographs with ourselves. By 
Stairway to the Stars by? Blue Oyster Cult. Yeah, everybody should know that. Actually, <laughs> I, and that, in case people are wondering, was we want to make sure that you got the exact track because you brought all this music out here to play to help promo your zine and we don't want to make what track were we playing why should people care about blue oyster cult i think it's because mainly the first three albums they're just absolutely terrific and they uh, did a great light show but for me it's that first album it's something that you can i've never heard before it's kind of remarkable what about the band imperial dogs have you heard of them and their relation to Blue Oyster Cult? I know they're related. I don't know much about Imperial Dogs. I know somebody in them, I believe, but I don't. I'm trying to remember. Yeah, I, I know. I knew it at one point. Because they were out of Los Angeles at the time, and you were around. Did you see them? No, I Did? never saw them. No, I saw pictures and photos, and I still do on Facebook. And the next we heard on that long list of music that you brought in, but, we Captain Beefheart. We heard the Beefheart. Yeah, and that is something I discovered recently is that I've had that album. I've traveled with that album all over the world since 1968. I love it so much. But I didn't realize that that blues thing you heard in there, that he weaves in and out of that whole side of the album, is from Dead Letter Blues. And the album is strictly personal with the package on it. I never put together all the postal implications that he's putting in there. He's weaving a lot of information in there. But you did show me your fanzine? I, no, I didn't. The story, you mean the story of how I got the letter from him? It, well, he did like your fanzine, right? He liked the Zappa illustration on the back page? Yeah, I think he did, yes. Well, it, you know, I didn't, wasn't involved in that. I contacted a guy who wrote a story on him in Rolling Stone and uh, complained that I couldn't find any of his albums in Canada. A few weeks later, the first album, a uh, promo copy comes in the mail from him with a big sign, No Gratitude. But isn't there a mention, uh, <laughs> isn't there a mention in Denim Delinquent Zine, something about how he liked your back cover of Denim Delinquent? The Zappa picture? Yeah, yeah, somewhere in there. But you're not sure how. You know what? Love it might is still where? new to me. <laughs> I guess we have a chance to peruse over the magazine now with a fine comb through the excellent reissue on Hozak Books. I'm going to tell you, when I first got this, I couldn't believe it because uh, Todd Novak and uh, Brett Cross did a fabulous job of making this. The first thing everybody says to me is, it's so huge, it's heavy, it's hefty. And the reason is they use some high-grade paper with some gloss on it, and the pages just pop. And far more bright than the denim blinkments were. So it's a really marvelous thing they've done. Just fantastic. Uh, where can people purchase that, locally and internationally? I think we're getting, working on Canada. We're working on uh, Vancouver. Uh, but, uh, you know, there's uh, Mid Midhaven um, you know, distribution systems. I, I don't have them right here. but uh, there Or are at the Hozak website. They're sold out. So uh, And Jeremy, uh, Jeremy Cargill on Facebook... You can reach him at Got Kind of Lost Records, and he has a few to sell. And I'm all sold out, so. And we end with the Bonzos. Yeah, it's kind of my philosophy of music right there. Were there other Canadian fanzines? There's Denim Delinquent. What about the Pig Paper? Pig Paper, yep. Because you were proto-punk. That was a rare time for fanzines, really. Like, what other Canadian fanzines did you know of? 
I really didn't know of any other than a pig paper. What was first, you or the pig? I well, I don't know. I started in uh, set with seventy seventy one, and I'm not sure when he started. I don't know if he started that early though. I think he was more because I relate him to punk. We were in be- before punk. We you didn't know punk was coming. So there were no Canadian fanzines that you know of that you that you could get. Well, I'm sure there were some, but I didn't know about them. What about the Please Kill Me Canadian Connection? Jillian McCann. McCann. McCann Foods. McCain. I know Please Kill Me, but I don't know about... uh, I've never seen one. What about Mark Jones, your co-editor? What about him? What happened to him? Well, we started... uh, The the Dan Blank went with the idea that he was going to do the the bulk of the writing, and I was going to do the layout, do the drawings. It turned out that he kind of lost a little bit of interest, and I moved to the States, so it made it a little bit difficult. So I just took it over from there. Have you contacted him since? Uh, Does he know about the reissue? I just sent him yesterday. He should have got uh, uh, some issues that I sent him. And I wish I could have flown down there and given it to him. I was planning to do that, but it's just too much money. You have a picture in the book of Iggy Pop wearing a Seeds t-shirt, which is the yes. ultimate. Have you kept up with many of the denim delinquent subscribers, you know, or people you encountered? You know, I hear about, hear about them. And know, how did that photo exist? Like, how did it happen? That one, oh, that was uh, a, a promo picture for uh, the Seeds documentary. And they interviewed him for it. And they put that shirt on him. He took the picture, and as soon as the picture was taken, he ripped that off <laughs> back to Iggy. He, uh, it, it was amazing. It said, like, GMP crescendo on uh, yes. like the armpit. Yeah. So it did kind of a bit look set up. He looked he kind of didn't want to wear it, right? Well, I think he did. He was very complimentary. He liked the band a lot. And, I mean, there's a lot of similarities in the way they simplistically. And we played the seeds in there, too. Who have you kept up with, though? Like, for instance, Kit Congo. He was president of the Ramones fan club. And he said one of the members was Paula Pierce of the Pandoras. The Denim Delinquent mailing list. What did it comprise of back then? Who were the proto-punk fans that formed bands? You know, well, well, one of them was Morrissey, Stephen Morrissey. He used to write, you know, as a little kid. I think he was pretty young then. Uh, and get, get issues from us. I didn't think anything of it until the 80s and found out there's a record uh, that he had etched a saying from Denim Linkwood in the Dead Wax, which is very cool. I thought that was Which wonderful. we're going to play a bit later on on yeah. the Nardwar, the Human Serviette Show. And you were listening to Denim Delinquent on the Nardwar, the Human Serviette Radio Show. Did Iggy remember you from the times you encountered him in past? I hope not. And I'll <laughs> tell you why. Is the fact that we had an opportunity... Uh, after interviewing the first few times of uh, getting um, unfettered access to him and Ray Manzarek and a few others, because Danny Sugarman, their manager, said he loved Danny Delinquent. He, he actually wrote for the next issue. But I also wrote stuff about my encounters with Vicky. Problem was, I had no filters, and I wrote all this stuff you know, that I should never written about, I guess. And uh, Danny Sugarman called up, and my wife answered <laughs> I could hear his voice from where I was. He was not pleased. He says, you're not going to touch these guys. You know, you know, we're trying to rehabilitate Iggy's image. And, you know, you're just ruining it for us. What year was that? 74. 
90. So he had destroyed his image by 74. Oh, he that's the Iggy that we love. That's when he was in a, his doldrums. He, but he was, he was still fun. I, I mean, he would come up and, and perform and introduce bands and generally annoy people. You first got into drawing, like 16 Mag was your yeah. entry in. What year was that? You were into drawing, and Mark 66. was into the writing, yeah, right? Yeah. This was before I, I knew him. This is Montreal. And, yeah, and I sent it in. I don't know why. And uh, I thought it was one of the best ones I'd done. I got this little letter, you know, from Gloria Staver saying, here's your two bucks. <laughs> Congratulations, you're going to be in this issue. And you saw the seats in Ottawa. Montreal. Not, Montreal. What do you remember about seeing the seeds? Well, you know, this is funny thing about this is that I got their first single, Pushing Too Hard, and it just blew my mind. On one week, the next week I got the album, and that was even more. And then the next week they played a concert with The Shadows of Night and uh, uh, Question Mark and Mysterious, McCoys, and all these bands. And they, the seeds came on, they just blew everybody's mind. They just, every track was uh, ending like a locomotive. You know, I don't remember much about the actual songs because by that time, they had gone past the, the first album, Simplicity. How old were you? Uh, too old for that. Well, at that time, I was probably 16, maybe 15. But you remember enough to remember that they were the best. I remember th that they had the same costumes as one of their albums. I remember uh, the sound of the organ, and it was a little bit different. Because they were already into some kind of a, you know, a little bit different music by that time. They had changed a little bit to Flower Generation. But I do remember that every song was going faster and faster and faster. And I went in. I thought that was cool. But other than that, I don't really remember much about it. You're a zine, Denim Delinquent. I love the fact that there are prices of record stores and what you can buy for two bucks and deleted LPs. That is genius. <laughs> That's how we lived. That's how we, you know, we didn't get uh, albums from record companies because we were just a zine. So we had to go and find our own albums. And we wanted to find the stuff like the Nightcrawlers, which is really a big album. Now. Little Black Egg. Yeah, they were 99 cents, and there was tons of them everywhere in Montreal. I could have made a fortune now if I bought them all. So there's all these great albums, just cutouts. And you recommended people buy these albums in your zine. Well, I reviewed them and let them make up their own mind. How about that? But still, you put it like at available at J.C. Penny yeah. in a delete bin for two yeah. bucks. I love that. Yeah, yeah. And for a while, Yahoo, Yahoo. Well, that was just which a, is genius too. Yahoo. Well, that's what somebody told me. Uh, Denim Link was sucked, and you know I got to get a better name. And I went, oh, all right, let's do it. When did you first use the term punk? When did you first hear the term punk? You know what? There's a lot of talk about that. I, I used it in Dead and Delinquent. I used it in other magazines. Uh, I know that uh, Lester Bangs used punk and other writers used punk, but not as punk rock. They just say, called them punks or it sounded punk or whatever. Why did you use the word punk? Because you had seen other people use it? Uh, probably, yeah. And, by that time, it was just sort of a part of the language of how you write about rock and roll. You use that term. And it was probably, like I said, Lester Bangs, Meltzer, these guys. They might have been using that term, and I just picked it up. And in Bangs, you eventually edited Bangs, right? Yeah. Like you had the pleasure, and we're speaking to Jim Parrott of Denim Delinquent, recently, recently reissued by Hozak Records and Books. 
you edited Bangs? Well, he sent in an article, uh, and it was a little bit long. It was on Lou Reed's Style of Can't Dance. It uh, was a little long for, like, how old were well, you? Well, it was a little long because we finished the magazine. But when you make the magazine longer for Lester Bangs? Oh, no, because there's so many pages that you got for so much money. But for Lester! I, I know, I know. Don't, don't <laughs> rub it in. I've, that's guilt. It's killing me. <laughs> but, yeah, we should have made it a two-pager and made it really nice. Instead, we put in tiny type, and it wasn't very fair to him. What was his reaction? He never gave a reaction. But his reaction before that was interesting. He sent us a letter saying, please send it back. Please send it back. You've had it long enough. I need, I need the money. Please send it back. I said, I don't know, send him back a letter. Look, we're going to publish any, any day now, any day. Did he eventually use it? Is it in the carburetor dung? Or it's nowhere. Any, no. Except Adam Delinquent. I, I don't think it's anywhere, and I've wondered about that because there are books out of, collect- of his collections of writing, and I don't think it's anywhere in there. So how did you, a guy from Ottawa, get Lester Bangs to contribute to your fanzine? I used to write reviews or send in reviews to Cream when he was there, and then I'll be sent back. I'll reject it. So I think I'm not sure how, but it was it was unsolicited. It just came one day. And we were what? <laughs> yeah. Thank you, denim delinquent, and you've brought in a whole bunch of proto punk. That's what you would call this, right? Proto punk. I didn't call it that because the term that we use now, punk rock, wasn't available. So this was just a rock and roll magazine. But now, in the historical terms, it's a proto-punk or a pre-punk. And what are we going to hear right now? We are going to hear, we just heard the Bonzos. What are we going to hear right now? Well, we are going to hear Down on the Street by the Stooges from their uh, box sessions of Funhouse. And he does not remember you at all. I do want to meet him because I don't want him to remember because they were so pissed at me. <laughs> but you did do the liner notes for a return Well, that was through Greg Shaw of uh, Who Put the Bomb. So here we go with the Stooges on Denardwar the Human Serviette radio show with Denim Delinquent. <laughs>
Jet, Whisper Jet, les Jet Turbo. À propos, je suis pas rendu chez Sophie. L'avion Saint-Esprit de Duplessis sans m'avertir. Alors je suis reparti sur Québec Air, Transworld, Northern, Eastern, Western, Pipan American. Mais je sais plus où je suis rendu. J'ai été au sud du sud, au soleil, le blanc, rouge, les palmiers et les cocotiers glacés dans les peaux aux esquimaux bronzés qui tricotent des ceintures fléchées par-ci. Et toujours la Sophie qui venait de partir. Sur Québec Air, Transworld, Northern, Eastern, Western, Pipan American. Mais je sais plus où je suis rendu. Il y avait même, il y avait même une compagnie qui engageait des pigeons qui volaient en dedans et qui faisaient du ballon. Dans le vent, c'est absolument, absolument, absolument très salissant. Alors je suis reparti sur le Québec Air, Transworld, Northern, Eastern, Western, Pipan American. Je suis rendu. Et moi, et moi, à propos et moi, je suis rendu, je suis rendu à dos du chameau. Je préfère mon Québec Air, Transworld, Northern, Eastern, Western, Pipan American. Mais je plus, je ne sais plus où je suis, où je suis rendu. J'ai retrouvé ma Sophie Elle était dans mon lit Avec mon meilleur ami Et surtout mon pot de biscuit Que j'avais ramassé Sur Québec Air Transworld Northern Eastern Western Pipan America
And you're still listening to The Nardwar, the human serviette radio show with special guest DJ, Denim Delinquent. What did we just hear right there? Well, we started off with the Stooges and uh, one of their uh, most basic uh, tunes. In fact, it's so basic. This is track one and it comes from their box set, uh, the Funhouse box set. After that, and you actually saw them live and were chastised. I, I never saw the Stooges live. You never saw them live. Other, other DD writers went and saw them live. I was sick. I couldn't make it. So you, uh, when you were phone called by Danny Sugarman or Sugarman? Sugarman, yeah. Who was married Sugarman. to Fawn Hall? A, a, a 1980s reference of Mary DeFawn Hall. That was pretty incredible. And then we heard, what after the Stooges did we hear? Okay, then we heard The Painted Ship. And a most outrageous vocal that I've ever heard, and one of my favorites. With And she said yes. Hello, Bill Hay. Hello, Bill Hay. The How are you doing? The Painted Ship from Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada. When did you first hear of the fir- you know, the Painted Ship? Well, there was a track on um, compilation years ago, and it was a, a good track, but it never really— Frustration, that's what we wanted to play. The, yeah, but there was another track, and I forget, the one that was really well-known. But then I found Frustration, I think from um, Rob Frith down at Neptune. I think he introduced me to it. And, and then I heard, and she said yes, and that, that ball game over. If I had heard these guys at the time, Denim and Delink was material for sure. What did you hear at the time? It's all meat. All meat, yes. But you know what? I heard the album, but I didn't hear the great song, Feel It, until after. So I wrote a, I wrote a review of the album and then said, I hear there's a single called Feel It out there. I hope it's good. But you never actually had a chance to. Not, not, not until years later. And it is really good. The Pain the Chip from Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada. Bill, hey, hello, Bill. And bef- we right after that, we heard? We heard. Let's see what we heard. Then we heard The Supernatural, one of my favorite guitar sounds of all, Peter Green. And he just gets that sustain in that guitar. I don't know how he does it, but it just gives me goosebumps every time. And, but, and one thing I didn't know is uh, my landlord, who's a jazz musician, walked in. He listened to it for about five seconds. He goes, oh, Black Magic Woman. So you can see that musically he was evolving into that other song with that. And then we heard? Lindbergh. You can see the pause because I'm making Jim do all the work. Yes, Jim from Denim Delinquent has brought in all the music to play. All his own music, which you have carried around the world too, right? Some of them I have had since 1968. Two, two of these albums I've had since 1968. How many were from the Delete Bins? Those two weren't. Um, no, most of mine in those days uh, were, but they're all gone. So you didn't carry those around the world. No, I'm not a very materialistic person. I tend to get rid of stuff. But you would have picked up a couple night crawlers, right? I did. I did. And you know what? To my shame, I thought it was kind of, you know, ordinary. But you know what? Because it says 99 cents on it. Sometimes you're not sure in those days if it was some real fake or if it was just a band that's not making it. But that was good. And we end with some classic Canadian rock there. Charlebois, right? Charlebois, yeah. And this was well, his hit. was hit in France. And that just is a, sort of a psyche feeling to me. You know, it gives kind of a, a, a feeling of being in the air. As covered in Denim Delinquent? Yes. 
everything here was everything here covered in your fanzine. Uh, some of it, yes. Some of it, not. Um, Bonzo Dog was, Captain Beatbart was, Buzzsprout, Seeds, Stooges. Yep, not the painted ship. Didn't know about them in those days. And there were a lot of illustrations too. You were into the illustrations in the beautiful Hozak reissue of your fanzine. And we're speaking here to Jim from Den Delinquent. Recently reissued by Hozak fanzine, there was like some clear paper New York Dolls drawings. Like, was that like some clear paper? Oh, you know, yes. like is, yeah. uh, can you explain. And did that happen in the original issue? What happened? And this is the third issue. And what I did was I. Uh, decided I wanted to do something different for the cover. So what I did was I uh, uh, just did a black and white outline kind of caricature of the dolls. And then I put their makeup on a plastic sheet and then overlaid it on top. Maybe on the first 12 covers or whatever like that. And so uh, Hozak, to my amazement, actually got this done in this book. And everything lines up which I, I could never believe any printer could do this. It's just amazing to me. It's beautiful. What was successful back then? Like you sold, you, you sold 2,000 copies. Was, of one of them. Yeah, what was successful back then? They were all not successful until uh, number five, and that's when Greg Shaw uh, gave the review and, uh, and bump, and we got a lot of response from that. And that got our hopes up. And then the next one uh, we did was that we had uh, the Kiss uh, autograph the covers of the next record for 12 or so that we gave away in a contest. So it became a Kiss, Kiss-dominated magazine that time, sort of away from the hard rock into the heavy metal. How much did it cost to be the boss? Like how much did it cost to print Denim Delinquent? A lot of money, and I don't remember. We only did 200 copies of most of the issues, and you know, so I don't know if it's thousand dollars or whatever. You know, where were you? That's a lot of money back then. It might have not been that much. I just remember it was a lot of money. I do remember that thinking, oh man, how are we going to do this? How did Morrissey get your mag? Did he actually write your house? Yeah, yeah. We had uh, people like Rhino's um, Harold Bronson would write. Um, other people. Uh, Jeremy Glackwell, he was part of our group and stuff, but he would write in stuff. And uh, Eddie Flowers, who was a major uh, fanzine guy from that era and still is. He's, in fact, he's got a, a bunch of his friends getting together on one called Vulture. Did Morrissey hear about you through Bomp, probably, and then wrote you? It could have been. Because he was yeah. into New York Dolls? And I think it was that third issue that I talked about, London, where I had visited that. It might have got his track attention because that's the issue that that they sent the quote is from you were like how old were you following the kinks around at that time oh i was 20 yeah did they notice who the kinks no no but i did make a wonderful recording of one of their shows <laughs> do you still have it well you know my friend mark we loved it so much. It was so cool, so clear, and so it's such a great performance. He says, "Oh, well, I said to him, um, can I have it back?" And he goes, "Oh, I lent it to some guy in Arm Prior." I said, "Okay, never see it again." We never did. You also possessed an early videotape machine. Yeah, well, just a uh, beta machine. But that's cool. Like way back when. Oh yeah, beta was. 
very cool. You know, VHS, you know, there's that war that was going on, and Beta actually had a clearer picture. What were you wrong about in Denim Delinquent? What, what, you know, what were you wrong about? Like, for instance, you could never got a chance to review or feel it. What, what were you totally wrong about? Well, I in- think uh, Kiss I was wrong about. I think that I really love that, this, you know, hearing them in, in uh, person and uh, get this huge volume coming at you and those thudding drums and stuff. But they didn't really quite last very long. Did yeah. you meet the New York Dolls at all? I know I didn't. Uh, my staff did. <laughs> or Who did writers. you meet? Who did you meet? Uh, Who did oh, Ted, you meet? Ted Nugent, um, Sex Pistols. Um, you know, mostly when I was doing the pro writing is when I meeted people, met people, Judas Priest and uh, Cheap Trick again. And, you love the erections and the whackers, and you also reviewed Dust. That is amazing. Yeah. The whackers. Whackers, though, were huge, you know, in my world. They were big stars, and I, I couldn't figure out why nobody's writing about them, and I just love those albums. Are you still mad at David Bowie? Oh. For the raw power mix? No. <laughs> you were mad at him, right? Well... <laughs> you were mad at Bowie, right? Well, you know, I I just don't like his production. I still don't. I think his drums are very weak, and there's sort of a gooey feel to his records, to my ears. Now, I respect him as an artist and as a visionary. He is unparalleled. But I just don't listen to his music much. And you had no problem dissing Brave Belt. Well... <laughs> Randy yeah. Bachman's project in between the Guess Who and mm-hmm. BTO. But you love BTO, right? Well, I kind of, yeah. So yeah. you were the hard rock guy? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it depends, you know. It's funny, you know, you get an album, you get an album cover, you get the songs, you know, it all mixes in. And then when you're listening, it's all, but your perceptions are affected by that. Where did you travel? And again, we're speaking to Jim from Denim Delinquent Fanzine, reissued by Hozak Records and Books. Hozak Records. Where did you travel to? Like, you got around. Yeah, I traveled. Let's see. uh, Denim Delinquent didn't get a very good uh, greeting in the first two issues. Uh, First three issues. Uh, Got a lot of um, derision for it. And people I, I were laughing at it. I just was curious, though. Most people wrote you for the fanzine. When you say people weren't into it, you knew exactly who wasn't into it, like, or it got reviewed by Cream. Like, did you have no, any no, distributors? I'm just did, talking about friends did, and, and people in the stores I was trying to give Did you have any distributors at all? Like, was it available? No, no, we like did locally? it ourselves. No, like, it was all by mail. There was no record store? No, you know, and uh, Greg Shaw would put the review, he would put in your address. So... And they there you go. Yeah, that's why he was, at least for me, if he wasn't there, it was gone. And that's what just happened, actually. But when you traveled, you traveled on your own. Eventually, you were flown up by record companies? A little, yeah, I did. Um, I did go. Uh, C- CBS at that time was really pushing uh, uh, promo stuff. And uh, the record, other record companies weren't so interested. And because we worked for CPI, we got a lot of... Uh, Trips. I went to uh, St. Louis on uh, first class. That was <laughs> unbelievable. And uh, you're not saying to see what, though. Oh, sorry. Yeah, to see uh, Ario Speedwagon, Ted Nugent, Judas Priest. Baboom. 
And Judas Priest was the most fun interview. Of course, after first first class, everything would be amazing, right? But they were great, though. Judas Priest? Yeah. You know what? Um, that's one of my favorite interviews that I ever written because he was uh, he, had, he was sitting at the edge of the bed when I walked in. He had a drink in one hand and a blonde in the other. <laughs> He's just like, and he was the nicest guy. And we talked guitars and we talked, I mean, on and on for, you know, it was really. What wonderful. year was that? 76, I would believe, yeah. 75, 76. So that was towards the end of the zine, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. That's that towards the end. Well, that's because um, the end of the zine was really when I started writing professionally. And you moved to L.A. too? I moved into L.A. to get away from all the bad press in Ottawa in 74. And that's when we did. We met well, it was a bra- bad press, so. Bad pre- not, I shouldn't say bad press. It's just people that were condescending about it, calling it trite and infantile. And, and one guy at a party, you know, stood up and just started yelling at me. You know, you can't do this. This is, this is just junk. <laughs> you know, that kind of stuff. So we decided to go to California. And the reaction was much different there. And at that same party, you met Jeremy Gluck? Uh, that was not one of the parties, but Jeremy Gluck was at the Jones Brothers uh, parties, you could say. You, know, you might say something else. They were pretty wild. And, uh, and, and Jeremy will uh, tell you more about that if you talk to him, because uh, we had some great times. And uh, Evan, Mark's brother, was pretty wild. And he was really influential, too, because, like, he went from denim delinquent to sounds to the Barracudas. Yes. Yeah. And, uh, and, and written books. And, uh, and he does a lot of solo stuff since then. He's, and everything is all quality. He's getting – I like stuff more and more as he get, goes along. In Los Angeles, Kim Fowley wanted to borrow, like, 200 bucks from you? Yeah. Uh, well, he didn't want to borrow it. He wanted to get $2,000 from me so to make me a record that would be sound like what I wanted, the seeds. He said, but they'll be 10 times better than seeds. Any band is 10 times better than seeds. He was just, you know, he says, so I'll get all these musicians. We'll, we'll play, you know, what you can come up with your own song. You can sing on it. Or I'll, anybody will sing on it and put your name on it and we can release it. And, you know, I thought, that's great. My wife goes, no. <laughs> Smart woman. So Kim Fowley was going to make you a rock star well, for 2000 To make me bucks. a record. He's going to make me a record. I don't know what, what would follow after that. It was amazing also that you talked to the Moby Grape. Yeah, we had um, a show at, uh, I, I forget the place, but uh, it was a show in um, Los Angeles. And uh, we talked to them up backstage, but they were not in um, the greatest of moods. Uh, and rightly so. After all, everything they've been through. But still, Jerry, Jerry Miller talked yeah. about Skip Spence. Yeah. Like he said, he missed Skip. Yeah. yeah. He thought, he, I remember this, I remember this part. I remember him saying, or somebody saying, that Skip was just a great performer. That he wasn't a great, they didn't think he was a great musician. But they said he, when he got on the stage, he couldn't stay still. And he was just, and they, they just watched him the whole time going all over the place. You also got a chance to witness Zoller X. Yeah, I did. Who made a comeback a couple of years ago, but you didn't like them. They were late the first time around. Yeah. You know what? I would probably like them a lot more now. And now in those days, the choices were so, so many choices. You know, 
you, if it wasn't just as great as something else, then, oh, it's not that great. You also mentioned Ken Barnes in Denim Delinquent. Yeah. Writer Ken Barnes. Yeah, for uh, Bomp and other things. He had done quite a bit, right? Oh, yeah, and he still does, I believe. Yeah. USA Today. Yeah. Uh, from Ottawa, and we're speaking here to Jim Parrott from Denim Delinquent fanzine. From Ottawa, there were quite a few punk bands and proto-punk bands, or at least at that time, it wasn't called proto-punk, but still, I would consider them kind of punky. The Esquires, the Staccatos, the Townsmen, the 5D, Don Norman and the Other Four, the Deuces, the Eyes of Dawn, the Eastern Passage, Heart... Those Naughty Boys, Paper Dream, Scallywags, The High Tones, Svix. Do you know any of those bands at all? And you know, to tell the truth, I worked for a couple of years at the Pine Hall Dance Hall. And all the bands coming in every Friday, Saturday. And I don't remember hardly any of those bands coming in. We had bands coming in that were called like Tight Ass, Octavian. Stampeders came by. Um, but... Uh, how about any of these the punk bands from Ottawa, like the Action or the Red Squares or the Bureaucrats? Or what the, year were they? Or um, probably like around 79, 80. See, I had, I had left Ottawa um, at 74. So when I moved back to Canada in 76, it was to Toronto. And that's where I stayed. So the Toronto punk scene I was well aware of and the Crash and Burn Club. And I got to see the Dead Boys and... Uh, the Vile Tones and uh, all these have really great bands. A Canadian pro zine wanted you. What? Like a Canadian pro zine? Like, for instance, you did the Denim Delinquent. What were the Canadian pro zines? Uh, well, just magazine. And it was a, a magazine put out by CPI International uh, that was free. It was given to free to when people came into the concerts. And... Everybody started knowing about Denim Delinquent about that time. And uh, I got a call from the editor asking me, you know, uh, why don't you be our editor? Would you take the position of editor? I said, oh, I, I, I haven't got enough experience. There's no way. I don't know how to do that. And I turned it down. You know. and, but the money wasn't enough for the family. You know, I couldn't, couldn't do it. I should have done it. Because the person I got in next turned it into a really kind of mellow magazine. And my stuff was getting edited because, you know, I'd say some words in there <laughs> they didn't like and they edited it out. So I, I bad decision, you know. But good decision to do Denim Delinquent. And winding up here on the Nardwar, the Human Serviette radio show, you have a couple more tracks, including this Gene Clark track that we're going to play right now, One in a Hundred. Now, what were you saying about Gene Clark? Like this album cover, I was saying, wow, he looked like this in 70 or 72. And you were saying what? I was saying that an album cover that he had out there uh, called uh, No Other had this atrocious cover on, on both sides. And that would have made a perfect cover for that but I don't you know that's just something and there's another cover of him and standing in front of a house with some checkered shirt on that would really make it you know an impact because he's a good looking guy you know and this should have been called the birds too well two tracks on there are by the birds he they were united birds in the studio but with a different producer and what I love about those that track one in a hundred is that's 
Roger McGuinn's guitar the way it should should have sounded all along, just ringing, ringing out. So here we go with Gas DJ Denim Delinquent. You didn't understand what I said. I said, I, I need to feel you. Let me feel you more, more. Give me your fucking energy. Let me feel you. You have to help the dictators save rock and roll.
and you are still listening to the Nardwar, the human serviette radio show with special guest DJ Denim Delinquent. All talking about Jim, talking about your new book called Denim Delinquent. Delinquent. Yeah. And what are you looking for right there? I'm looking for my playlist. What do we hear just there? Because we know without looking at the playlist what we played right there, the dictators. And that was who will save rock and roll. And you definitely wanted to play that, right? Well, because it's got a line in there that I think is one of the finest bits of modern poetry. And that is, I saw the Stooges covered with bruises. Now, you can't write that every day. It's, that takes a lot of intelligence and work. Think about what the kids in 1980 will say about this. Ooh, what's that? The Dictators, the review from Denim Delinquent. Did I review? Yeah. That's what you said. Think about what the kids in 1980 will say about this. In 1980. When did you write that review? I don't remember. Uh, probably, you... well, obviously from 1976 and previous. Yeah. So probably in 75 it came out, right? Yeah. So what will the kids in 1980 think of this? And you love it, right? Yeah. And you heard my friend Jack on the radio, like, and you recorded it? Yeah, and I... By I the had, smoke. Yeah, and I had a single. I got it from England. I used to get lots of stuff from England. Get all these singles. Uh, the Move Live single that not many people had heard by, at that time. And uh, so, Did you tape a lot off the radio? Um, yeah, but what I started doing eventually is just uh, ordering records from uh, that I'd see in Melody Maker. And get them in NME and get them from England and then get them from the States. Do you have any of those tapes of, you know, old radio, Canadian radio? Because my mm. friend Jack, that's pretty amazing to have that on yeah. tape. Yeah. And oh, I, had, I had lots of tapes. Uh, when I was doing Denim Delinquent, we taped everything. Shows, people we talked to, and it's all gone. Where? To like the Whiskeys, States somewhere? You know, to friends? Oh, I don't know. You don't Moving. have anything? We moved, we moved so many times, you know. You just said to forget it? Yeah, Do you remember I, leaving it behind? I remember one that I really regret. Is I had this big big painting of Captain Beefheart that's in the... Uh, that he did? No, I, I did, of his universe with all this stuff going on. It was huge, and it was all, you know, all colors spent forever on it. And uh, for some reason, it got left. And it had all, all the uh, original issues... Uh, that I turned into the printer, all that stuff. So for the Hozak issue, you just took the best? Well, they're the best of, and I scanned it like 5 million times, sent it to them, and they, I don't know what they did, but they popped all every bit of it out so that you can even read the mimeograph stuff that you can't read on mine. So I don't know how they did it. It's just amazing. What was the best Canadian band? Thundermug? You loved the Thundermug. Thundermug was really good. Yeah, Thundermug was good. Well, Haunted and Painted Ship. And we played a bit of the Painted Ship. We won't get to the Haunted, but you wanted to play 125. You loved one, the lyrics two, of 125. I had that, that quality single, and I played it over and over and over and over again. And then I wrote a whole page review, and Evan's brother said... You wrote a whole page on that stupid song? Ah. 
Where did you get it? Did you like hold on to that seven inch and well, then you know, they were around? Yeah, it was you know it was around, but I I can't remember because I was also mentioning in Venom Delinquent about uh, Toronto bands that I had no clue how I got to know the Ugly Ducklings because in those days it was Toronto, Montreal, never the Twain shall meet. You know, where did you see Patty Smith? I didn't. You know, Patty Smith was. Uh, Marks in those days too. I did ask this to you before. You yeah. saw mainly the heavy metal, right? We would call the heavy metal. You missed all the classic punk gigs, right? Or did you? No, I saw the punk gigs. Well, you saw the Pistols. Yes. How did you see the Pistols? I moved to Dallas, and the next week I was at the uh, Longhorn Ballroom, and uh, all these. Kids just coming in, either punks or a mixture of cowboy boots, how, cowboy hats, and punk gear. And it was amazing watching them come in. And Malcolm Clarem was right at the door, and he was just watching. Every kid with this fascinating look on his face. And it was a great concert. I mean, it was, wasn't the best musically, obviously, but it was such a memorable event. You said they were average, and that Sid pulled a Gene Simmons well, he got nicked in the nose by either a fan, by the microphone, uh, whatever. And he started bleeding, and it started going on his chest, and he started making a big thing of it. And the other band members were getting kind of, come on, play your bass. You know, and he's, He didn't play bass anyway. He was sort of faking it. What do you think of the concert? Like, you enjoyed it? Oh, I enjoyed it a lot. And when I say... They weren't, they weren't good or anything like that. That's partly a compliment because they were, they were pulling it off and they weren't doing things perfectly. It was all kind of raw and all over the place. And Steve Jones was really holding it together. Do you remember the opening bands at all, like the Vamps? I think it was the Vamps that played in Dallas. Do you remember mm -hmm. anything about the concert itself? No, no. Just I probably the got there, at the door? Probably got there a little later um, just for the sex I was supposed to have an interview with them. And so it was supposed to be before the show, and that didn't pan out. And there was supposed to be one after the show that didn't pan out. <laughs> and they apologized to me. Oh, we're sorry, you know, Sex Pistols, you know, the way they are. What did you write for as well? Like, you did, what were you writing that for? Because it wasn't for Denim Delinquent, right? Well, it was for that CPI publication that we would give out at concerts. And it went all across Canada. It's called Cheap Thrills at first and then Stage Life. And uh, we had uh, a guy named Machine Rock, who was, a, I think he's now a cream editor and became big in cream at the time, and Ralph Afonso, and Robert Bowman, who has won a couple of Grammys, I believe, for his liner his notes. His set, yeah. Yeah. So uh, everybody but me went on to <laughs> stardom or something, you know, some projects. I, I went off the grid totally. You didn't do any music writing at all? No, I moved to Dallas, and um, after the Sex Pistols, I got two bands together. I was decided I was going to be band manager. I got the punk bands, because there's only the Nerve Breakers that I knew at that time in Dallas. So we got a couple bands together, put on a show, <laughs> you know, and they kicked me out, because I wanted to play guitar, but I couldn't play. So they kicked me out, and they formed another band and uh, called The Earthworms. And they made some uh, recordings with uh, some poets, uh, Allen Ginsberg and things like that. So you were in an early version of the Nerve Breakers? No, no. The Nerve Breakers were there. We wanted to challenge them. We wanted to bring 
the crash and burn scene that I had just left, that really energetic full scene into Dallas because it was dead. You know, there's only one band dominating. So I thought, okay, let's get it. So I set up this uh, concert in uh, an old movie theater. And uh, the midnight concert, and I, I convinced the uh, person there that uh, after the movie, we'll go on and play. She said, sure. So we did a backdrop and da-da. We did a concert, recorded it on binaural headphones. Do you have copies of that? No. I don't have copies of, I don't have copies of my uh, the letter from Captain Beefheart. I don't have my autographed Iggy Pop album. I just, I just lose stuff all the time. And then the Gene Simmons... He kept on contacting you. Over yeah, and well, over. yeah, no, yeah. He sent uh, postcards, you know, from Japan or from here, and and he went to my um, boss. And I think that was one of the reasons that I got offered uh, the job to be the editor. He went to him and says, "I only want Jim to write this. He's he's the first person who who gets what we're doing." You know, I thought that was great. He thought it was great. Have you seen him since? Uh, I saw him a few times just in those years, but I haven't seen. You know, I see him all the time because he's in Vancouver all the time. I don't want to go up to him and say, do you remember who I met? <laughs> do you remember Denim Delinquent? No. What did you do after Denim Delinquent? Oh, I went into technical writing for companies. And how did you end up in Vancouver? Well, uh, I got tired of uh, Texas and California and in the U.S. kind of. You know, I just had my fill. So I decided I'm coming back to Canada. So I came back to Toronto, just out of the blue. And then eventually... And then I, I got a job offer in Vancouver, but I really wanted to go here. I had uh, LASIK surgery t 12 years before that and loved it. And I, I grew up in an era where the B-ins were happening. And I used to watch from Ottawa, the news reports showing all these rock bands in this park. I think, wow, nothing's going on here. And look at that. It's just all over the place. Right now, we are going to end. Uh, you were in what, the Earthworms. Is that your band from Dallas? Yeah, the I was in. I was versus in, the Nerf Breakers. Well, you know, they 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 never versus. But with, uh, were they were they at that gig? I doubt it. You know, they were established pretty much. Oh, who played that gig? Us, just the Earthworms. Okay, just the band. That was just us. You know, and I put out these flyers and put them in saying with reviews from Toronto, London. <laughs> you know. Stuff like that, and saying we were huge hits and had big tours and stuff. So, if people want to get a hold of Denim Delinquent, the fanzine, it's been reissued by Hozak. How do they get a hold of it? Uh, well, now we, it's sold out, right? Yeah, it's in stores. You can find them in stores. Uh, what stores locally and what stores we, well, non locally? Stores in Vancouver and Canada are still being worked on, I believe. And, uh, as far as the states, I was given a list this morning, but I don't have my phone. It is out there. But it's, there's, there's mail-order places that you can go. Thank you very much for coming in to the Nardwar, the Human Serviette radio show. And you discovered, Jim, about dem Denim Delinquent. Your fanzine, as we mentioned earlier, had a little reference to Denim Delinquent in the headline, in the name. And somebody stole that for a runoff groove. It was warped. Yeah. Morrissey, Stephen Morrissey. Oh, Morrissey. Yes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He, he did a good number on that, you know. And I, re I do remember his letters and stuff, but I didn't know at the time who he was. How did you discover, and we're going to play the record that has a runoff groove saying Denim? Delinquent. How did you discover that? I, I think I was uh, probably Googling Denim Delinquent. 
I can't remember exactly. I think it was Googling, and it came up that there was a whole uh, bunch of uh, Morrissey etchings. So here we go with Morrissey doing what particular track? We, we're going to play Interesting Drug, but unfortunately that is warped. So we're going to play Such a Little Things Makes Such a Big Difference. It's the only non-warped thing, but it really has done a delinquent, and I can see etched in you the Ronald Groove. You can see it's actually there. It's actually there, and people oh, yeah. can you know run to her collection and get it. Uh, anything you'd like to add to the people out there at all, Jim? Have fun. You know, whatever you do, just have fun. Why should people care about denim delinquent? Why should people care? Uh, I think it's because it's uh, something that's 40 years forgotten. It's been resurrected. And it has an attitude that it's kind of unique to itself. Uh, it's kind of a, got a graphic energy that I, can't, I haven't seen in any other fanzines. And it also has some funny, funny interviews with uh, Iggy Pop, Ron Ashton, Mike Nesmith, all sorts of people throughout it. Ron Ashton dissing Bowie, right? Whoa, yes. <laughs> How dare he? <laughs> yeah. Well, thanks so much, Jim, and Denim Delinquent. Do do loot do. Do do. Gentle tone of kindness 